0: Hey, Cloudcast listeners, before we get started, I want to introduce today's show sponsor, Liquid Technology. Is your company planning on migrating to the cloud, upgrading infrastructure, or relocating your IT hardware? Liquid Technology's CloudLast is a suite of services that helps organizations move into the cloud. The CloudLast team will de-rack, pack, and purchase your excess technology hardware. So why not increase your budget by getting money back for your excess IT equipment? In addition, Liquid Technology will ensure that your company's data is safe. They provide on- or off-site auditable data destruction services. So whether your operations are in Ashburn or Amsterdam or somewhere in between, Liquid Technology has expert knowledge in local regulations to deliver a compliant international solution to your company. Liquid Technology is an EPA-recognized dual-certified green recycler. So visit cloudlast.co slash cloudcast today, sign up for the service, and you win a Cloud Last t-shirt. And one lucky winner will receive a $100 Amazon gift card. That's cloudlast.co slash cloudcast. And now, on to the show.
1: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
0: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope you're all having a good 2019. I know it's cold in a lot of places around the world, especially here in the United States, but uh, hope you're all enduring. Hope you're all doing well and uh, off to a good start. You know, before we get into our guests today and we continue uh, a little more of our look ahead at some of the big topics that uh, we know is always interested to you, we want to make sure that we cover some cloud news of the week. And so uh, we're going to jump right into that. It's kind of an interesting set of news for early in the year, quite a bit of news, actually. Um, So let's jump right into that. So uh, first thing on our list is Veeam, uh, one of the backup software companies who's been around for quite a while, uh, enterprise backup company. Veeam took $500 million in VC funding this week. Uh, so um, Veeam's been around for quite a while, It uh, does very well in the backup space, has always done very well in the virtualization backup space, uh, took another round of VC funding for $500 million. So very big start to the VC year. Some people uh, were concerned that maybe VC funding was going to be down in 2019. Nope, not yet. Uh, not to be outdone rubric, uh, who also does backup, um, you know, backup around secondary data, uh, backup data, uh, very involved with the HCI type of, of technologies and actually Aaron's company. Um, they took $300 million in VC funding. So, uh, you know, big, big week for companies that are in the backup space, um, you know, sort of interesting to look at how much that space has grown. Uh, you go back to about 2008 or 2009, Data Domain was acquired for a little over $2 billion. And uh, between those two companies, Veeam and and Rubrik, we're seeing, uh, you know, valuations combine over near $5 billion. And that's uh, that's not the entire market. So uh, big growth in that space, obviously, lots of data getting created. So uh, congratulations to both of those companies and uh, off to a big start for uh, VC funding in 2019. Now, for some non-VC news, um, AWS acquired a company called Cloud Endure. Cloud Endure is a uh, Israeli company who had mostly focused on sort of backup to the cloud and um, data management to the cloud, some disaster recovery to the cloud. Uh, they were also kind of the core of the Google Cloud Platform's uh, cloud migration service, and AWS uh, uh, swooped in and uh, acquired them. I believe they were also doing some work with AWS as well, but this is considered to be uh, somewhat of a coup in, in getting that technology away from uh, GCP, and obviously. AWS is trying as much as possible to get uh, as many bits of your application and your data up into their public cloud. So, um, you know, take a look at that. It was kind of a very low key announcement. AWS tends to make uh, very, very low key Amazon and AWS both tend to make fairly low key announcements. So uh, we'll put that one in the show notes. Um, There was some some rumors floating floating around of a new AWS service uh, that may get announced or may uh, kind of emerge in 2019, sort of called AWS for Everyone, um, considered to be a project working on low code, so essentially very much a... You know, an application development space that's very much kind of visual, uh, drop and drag, uh, kind of, you know, developing for uh, people that aren't hardcore developers. So, uh, you know, building applications without having to write code. So be interesting to see if that evolves. And uh, there's been some some things that have been, you know, kind of emerging, not so much leaked, but kind of emerging about maybe that's going to be an offering that will be uh, coming from AWS in 2019. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. And the last one, which is sort of interesting, and I know we talked about this on our year-end wrap-up show, and I, I think this is going to be a trend that we'll see more and more. Um, we saw Walgreens, uh, the massive um, uh, pharmacy company, not pharmaceutical, but pharmacy company, um, you know, the, the company that's basically on every corner, uh, at least in the United States, and, and uh, you know, is growing around the world. Um, they recently announced a couple of partnerships with both Google uh, as well as Microsoft to really start looking at how do they uh, become more technical, more analytical uh, about delivering healthcare, about delivering um, details about your uh, your usage of of. Uh, Pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, your health and other things like that. So I think we're going to see more and more companies that are going to begin to kind of get outside of their silo, work with various technology partners, uh, and really realize that, that, you know, the advent and usage of big data and analytics and ML and AI and so forth, um, will become a, you know, a bigger part of how they serve their customer base. So. Uh, The AI and ML piece will obviously be very interesting to anybody who listens to our upcoming conversations, but uh, that's kind of the news for the week, week, some VC news, some some partnership news, some acquisition news, so uh, some interesting stuff that's out there. So this week's Cloud News of the Week is brought to you by our sponsor, Datadog. Datadog is a monitoring platform from cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. All of you that have been listening for the last month or so should know Datadog at this point. Datadog provides dashboarding alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end visibility very, very quickly. It integrates seamlessly with AWS so you can start monitoring and visualizing your EC2, RDS, ECS, and all your other uh, AWS applications immediately. So if you'd like to try out Datadog for yourself, go ahead and try out a free 14-day trial today. Listeners of the Cloudcast can go to datadog.com cloudcast and you'll get not only a free 14-day trial, but a great-looking, very, very soft, uh, great-to-wear Datadog t-shirt. So datadog.com slash the Cloudcast, sign up for your free 14-day trial, start monitoring some of your AWS applications, and uh, get a free Cloudcast t-shirt, or Datadog t-shirt, and let let them know your friends at Cloudcast sent you. So with that, we're going to get to our interview today. We're really going to take a look at what's going on in the AI and ML world for 2019. All right, and we're back. And you know, as we've been doing throughout the year, we've been uh, really starting off the year looking at a bunch of domains that we think are really important to a lot of our listeners, and, and obviously they're areas that are of a lot of interest to to the industry. And so this week, we're really going to try and focus on uh, machine learning and AI. Um, and with that, you know, we want to bring back an old friend of the show and, and somebody who is really a, a domain expert in this space and somebody who spends a lot of time in it. So very happy to have Sam Charrington back with us. Sam is the co-host and creator of the This Week in Machine Learning and AI podcast and does a lot of work around research and consulting in this space. So Sam, welcome
1: back to the show. Great to have you on. Brian, thanks so much to have me back on the show. I'm really excited to uh, participate once again
0: you know, we see you from time to time at events. And so it, you know, we forget that it's been a while since you've been on the show. It's been just a little over a year. So for anybody, um, you know, who may not have heard you back on, I think it was show 321, which was the end right around the end of 2017, or somebody who may not be familiar with your podcast, which is, uh, winning awards and, and really doing very, very well. So give folks a little bit of background about yourself and then, um, you know, what's your, what's your kind of focused on in the, in the AI and ML space.
1: Absolutely. Well, if I can start with a plug, I'd say folks should go check out the podcast if they're interested in this space. Uh, it's at TwiMLAI.com. And of course, it can be found any place you would like to listen to a podcast. Um, but uh, I really come at the space from the perspective of an industry analyst uh, focused on the way that enterprises are adopting machine learning and AI. Uh, but i'm also really very curious about the the math and the science of it, uh, and passionate about the way it's being applied in general. Um, I think artificial intelligence is, will just have huge impacts on society, and I think the more people that are exposed to it uh the more it will reflect our values as a society so that's kind of what keeps me going and, and uh, in the space, I've been doing the podcast for about two and a half years. We're at about show two twenty something, um, and it's just been it's been a crazy ride. There's so much happening in this space.
0: Yeah, no, yours is yours is the one of the shows that we that we really love, and I, I think for for those of us. Um, Aaron and I, in particular, who don't necessarily have a lot of deep domain expertise in this, it's it's a fun show because uh, you know on any given week you may be talking about you know you go in depth with the technology, but it's not just technology. It's how is this impacting society? Um, you know how is this technology going on behind the scenes uh, from a business perspective? That you know things that you may not know, but they're improving the business. So it's a really nice mix of you know the technology, how it impacts the business, the people that are involved with it, and, and the you know, kind of how it may impact society in, in different ways. So we that that part of the show we really really love, and because it's such a broad uh, domain, you do a great job covering that.
1: Yeah, what's been particularly fun for me over the past year is, uh, you know, we, you, and I, and Aaron, we all go way back from the cloud community, com- cloud computing community. Um, you know, I was very early on in the space prior to being a, an industry analyst, um, and as I got deeper and deeper into m l and AI, I spent less and less time focusing on on cloud, but now they 're starting to come back together, and so I get to see and talk to all my old buds once again um, and it's been it's been uh, that part has been particularly great to see yeah so let let's start with some kind of mainstream uh
0: AI and m l stuff um you know I think a lot of us we, we, we talked I think when we talked about it a year ago, we said, you know you sort of know when certain aspects of of this technology is becoming really Uh, you know, solidified and strong because you kind of forget about it. Right. And so, you know, we know it's part of our day to day lives. It's involved with things like fraud detection for your credit card. It's involved with, um, you know, facial recognition, you know, completing uh, sentences in Gmail. There's a bunch of things. But what from a from an AI and ML perspective, um, as you talk to the community or the domain, like what's sort of considered mainstream and maybe even commodity at this point in time?
1: You know, the thing that jumps out at me most immediately comes from having just recently returned from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Uh, and one of the themes that I saw recurring all over the place is just the extent to which the, these consumer devices w- are adopting a few uh, specific technologies. The, the first is uh, some of the things that we're seeing around computer vision. So uh, object detection in general, uh, is one of those things there were, you know, maybe 50 different companies doing kind of home security cameras that can all, you know, detect motion and uh, do facial recognition, determine who's coming into the house, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, also there is a set of technologies called pose estimation or pose detection that has really advanced over the past uh, year or so. And it's being built into a lot of different technologies, particularly in the autonomous vehicle domain. I saw one application. Uh, I think this was a Qualcomm demo where they were showing how, uh, in addition to being able to identify the uh, pedestrians kind of alongside a vehicle or on the side of the road, they're using, Uh, this pose detection to determine the orientation of the pedestrian's body and the orientations of their face and try to predict what they're likely to do. Are they likely to step into the street or not? Um, Similarly, that same kind of technology was being used in a a product for gyms called Bot Boxer. It's a boxing, uh, kind of a boxing robot. Uh, And basically it, looked at the orientation of your torso and and your face to determine where you're likely to punch. And this thing would basically try to be a good sparring partner by trying to avoid your punches. It's being used inside vehicles to try to detect driver alertness by looking at the orientation of the face. Uh, So a lot of really interesting applications of computer vision generally, but this, you know, combination of object detection and uh, and orientation detection yeah. or pose estimation has been really, really jumped out at me from that show. Uh, and the, the, the other one is the prevalence of, uh, both speech detection and speech synthesis and the whole, uh, intelligent assistant, um, both from, you know, the big cloud vendors, uh, like Amazon and Google, of course, uh, but also, you know, folks kind of rolling their own and, and, you know, trying to build, you know, products and services around it. Ton of, ton of work there. Uh, natural language processing is another thing that jumps out. You know, the example you gave of that was the auto completing your, you know, texts and emails and Gmail, but there's uh, a ton of uh, maturity that's happening around natural language processing, or ability to, kind of train computers to understand text and to generate text. Yeah, I could go on. There's yeah. just a lot of stuff happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and, I, and I think the things that, that jump out at me as you're explaining that is, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, we think of uh, machine learning and, and AI, uh, maybe you you listen to a Google keynote or something. And it's always kind of, in a lot of cases, it gets framed in this context of, you know, massive amounts of data, tons of machines churning on stuff with GPUs and And those examples that you talk about where, you know, it's a recognition from a moving vehicle, a recognition from a, you know, a a human with a a camera or device, those are things that have to, you know, the response has to be really, really fast. It has to be immediate. It feels like, and maybe this isn't right, but it seems like the technology is sort of pushing a certain amount of of intelligence out to the edge device. It doesn't all happen in the cloud anymore. Like how, how is that trend kind of evolving in terms of like massive data sets in, in a centralized cloud to enough stuff with the right sort of hardware uh, or horsepower to do things at the edge? How how's that evolved?
1: Yeah, I think we're at a really exciting time for that whole evolution. Uh, another interesting experience from CES was my first ride in an autonomous vehicle. Uh, and uh, this particular one is done by a, a company, Apti, that partnered with Lyft, and you basically call a Lyft and it asks you if you want an autonomous car, and they've got a representative from the company in the car kind of telling you about the technology. Uh, and one of the comments she made was, yeah, there's basically a data center in the trunk of this car. Uh, and so there is still, for many of these applications, a lot of heavy compute. Um, but one of the things that doesn't really get talked about as much uh, with regards to compute and AI, is that there's really two different types of workloads that have very distinct requirements. One is the one we think about when we think of kind of huge data centers and GPUs cranking along on uh, solving some machine learning problem is the training workload. And that happens you know, typically in a batch mode before you actually want to do something. Uh, it's not synchronous. Um, but the other piece is the inference workload. That's when you have a model and you want to use that model. You want to make some kind of prediction or, or query against that model. Uh and that the compute profile is very different there. What is important there is you know response time. Um it's still uh it's still computationally expensive, but you're not cranking on a big batch of stuff. Typically you've got a, a transaction or or you know, some number of transactions, and you want to batch them as much as possible, but you, you know, you can't batch them so long that you're waiting around for, you know, more transactions to come in before you actually do your inference. And so that's really driving, pushing uh, a lot of the, uh, that's really driving a lot of what's happening around the edge, this idea of inference at the edge, making, allowing, edge devices to take advantage of models uh, to make predictions so that things out in the field can act on them. Uh, and of course, autonomous vehicles is one use case, but there's a whole other set of IoT related use cases that is driving this activity.
0: Right, right. Now, um, obviously, those are getting fairly sophisticated because um, as, as end users, um, they're they're working fairly well, we don't really have to do anything to make them work um, what 's the what 's the flip side of this domain right now what 's the sort of um, you know kind of bleeding edge or uh, you know research centric maybe it's only uh, you know only being done at the the big web scale companies well, what are some of those things that we may hear some buzzwords to to pay attention to in in twenty nineteen the you know the next thing of Facebook or Google or somebody else is is kind of working on somewhere to i don 't know unlock some new uh mystery of the universe
1: uh so uh, there are a bunch of uh, things kind of on the cutting edge. Uh, a few come to mind. One relates to the previous point we were discussing, which is this idea of AI at the edge. There's a lot of interesting work around federated machine learning. Uh, this is the idea that you know we've got all these centers in vehicles in uh, plants. And we're also pushing a lot of intelligence out to, uh, these same vehicles and plants. And we want to be able to do learning in a distributed way, not just inference. And the reason why that's important is because, uh, you can't push all the data that's being collected at a vehicle, for example, up to the cloud to kind of train the centralized model. There's just too much data. Right. So you want to be able to do some learning locally, uh, and share, some aspects of that learning centrally so that it can inform the development of the models that are running on other vehicles. It also ties into uh, personalization for the particular user or the particular environment. Uh, So this idea of federated machine learning, it's one that, you know, because they're, because of the progress that we're made in edge, the problems have become really clear uh, or are starting to become clear. The answers aren't necessarily there, but there's a lot of work happening on the part of a lot of different types of uh, organizations to try to figure this out. It Certainly cloud is a big part of this. Uh, the whole notion of 5G, which is just around the corner, changes the game a little bit as well. Uh, so I'd expect to see uh, a lot of innovation over the next uh, year or two around federated machine learning. Okay. Um
0: and does this does this also
1: and, include? I, I know we did a we did a show
0: uh, six eight months ago or so with uh, Simon Crosby and Simon Aspinall from a, uh, that were at a company called Swim.ai that was working on this concept called digital twins, which is sort of a a, a way of you know taking edge data and, and doing some replication with it. Does that play into that same space, or is that really totally different?
1: Uh, I think there's I think they're certainly related. So. The digital twin is a term that was coined by GE some time ago. A a typical GE aircraft engine has a couple of thousand different sensors in it, things like humidity and vibration and sound and things like that. And the idea with digital twin is they've got all of these engines out uh, deployed in the field. And they want to be able to predict, you know, when these engines might have problems and things like that. And the, the model that they started developing was one where they basically create a fully electronic or fully digital kind of in software uh, replica of an engine, a particular engine and its operating characteristics um, and use that to Um, I think it's related in the sense that there's, you know, it's based on, you know, devices and sensors and intelligence uh, in the field. And I think what the, you know, the opportunity is, is to more directly kind of tie these digital twins to what's happening on a given device right now. Like I think in the typical GE case, you know, they're taking hard drives off of a plane, shipping it to someplace, loading up and updating the twin running simulations against it. It's a very offline activity. But I think, you know, through this federation idea that we've been talking about, I think all of that will start to come together.
0: I gotcha. I gotcha. That makes sense. Um, you know, <clears throat> for, you know, this, this is going to be sort of an odd question for folks that, that don't necessarily listen to your show. But I know as I, as I kind of go through and uh, I'll listen to different episodes at, at different times, um, it felt like maybe a couple of years ago, um, there was... Maybe more of a focus um, you know some percentage of the shows uh, you know had kind of a, a social impact focus. maybe it was just because it was seventeen and people were kind of getting wrapped up in some of the Facebook stuff. It felt like this last year you more of the shows were were diving more into the technology. Uh, you know, like like we said in the opening, there's always this balance between, you know, what is AI and ML doing to kind of improve the computing experience of whatever that is? And then there's always, you know, some aspect of a concern, uh, you know, for things like privacy and other stuff that, um, you know, gets collected because of, it, you know, it's now involved with the day-to-day stuff. Are you finding that, that you know, just at, at this time, moment in time, there's a different balance of what people are wanting to focus on or is it always just going to be a balance and it just, you know, was coincidental maybe that uh, you hit on a few more technology things because there was a lot of technology to talk about.
1: Um, And that may be more coincidental. I don't necessarily, um, you know, when I think back that doesn't strike. Um, In fact, we just saw on policy implications just uh, a week ago or so, and we've got a big series coming up on AI for good um, in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm not sure when this will be aired, but, uh, um, that'll be upcoming. So I don't know that that necessarily changes. We try to keep a balance between, uh, really deep kind of conversations with researchers about kind of cutting edge research and, 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 and what they're doing as well as practitioners, folks that are in the field trying to deploy and use this as well as folks that are kind of thinking broadly about its implications. That's all important, important to us and our listeners. You know, one of the things kind of going back to the cloud and AI are starting to converge. That's been really exciting for me is a, a project that we launched in November talking about AI platforms and the way organizations and enterprises are building out uh, infrastructure to support the development of AI models at scale. So uh, we did a series of shows that uh, looked at the platforms that were built by companies like Facebook and Airbnb uh, and LinkedIn to support their data science and machine learning efforts. Uh, It also, that series also included uh, an interview with someone at Shell responsible for uh, their platform and a, a woman at Comcast who built a recommendation system using serverless. lists. Um, and we'll be doing another, that was a wildly popular uh, series among our listeners. Uh, we'll be doing another like a part two of that series uh, early this year. Uh, and I think what's it reflects what I'm seeing more broadly within the enterprise. And that is enterprises are, you know, coming off of this couple of years where they've kind of been kicking the tires, doing proofs of concepts, um, you know, getting their, their hands dirty and feet wet with machine learning and AI. And now there is, you know, from the C-suite to the line of business, all the way down, there's this demand to build models into more and more things because they've got a taste of the, the benefits that come along with it. And, Accordingly, the data science organization, or the machine learning center of excellence, or uh, the machine learning engineering team—depends on you know the enterprise what what it's called—they're under tremendous pressure to increase their throughput, their ability to get models out in the field. And the answer uh, to that is to you know scale up their technology platforms and processes to be able to do this better. So we've been focusing a lot on AI platforms uh, and and. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, an ebook out on uh, Kubernetes and the role of Kubernetes in supporting uh, machine learning training and inference. Kind of at the the bottom level of that stack, uh, we've got another one that's coming out in February that's focused on looking at kind of from the top down the machine learning and and data science process. Uh, so data management, experiment management, and model management, and case studies like facebook airbnb linkedin and what we can what can enterprises learn from the way uh these companies have built out their ai platforms um that will help them achieve scale
0: yeah no it makes it makes a lot of sense and and um we'll put some links in the show notes because uh, not only the the podcast stuff that you do, which is which is very visible in public, but uh, the ebooks that you've been writing and and the other series are, are really good. So we'll get those in the show notes and folks should definitely take a look at them, especially if you're if you're interested in this space, you want to dive down deeper into it and um, you really want to get some uh, you know sort of some good meat around the realities of what this is. Um, you know it it seems weird to ask this question in twenty nineteen, but I, I still run into. Organizations where you know maybe it's uh, you know maybe more coming out of the IT organization, the line of business might already be doing this, but, but we still get get a lot of kind of newbie questions around big data. Um, let's say you bump into a an executive, uh, VP of of something, C level person, and they go, "Hey, g- give me some basics. What's this gonna What's this gonna cost me to start being able to do some things that impact my business? Who you know? How how am I going to be able to hire?" you know, how long is it typically going to take? I mean, what, w- given the state of technology today and um, kind of the, you know, the availability of data scientists or, you know, online tools that just sort of help, like what might something look like if somebody said, hey, we want to be able to improve our, I don't know, our customer acquisition ratio or something by 10%, like, I know, how, how do you even put numbers around that for somebody? Or are there, is that something that, that you could talk through?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, I think like is often the case in technology, the, the real answer there is kind of, it depends. Sure. Um, but what it depends on, and this is a key that a lot of people miss is the way you define your problem. You know, any of these problems you can formulate in any number of different ways. And the, the, way you formulate the problem has a huge impact on the way you might approach it from a machine learning perspective. Uh, and thus the, the cost and complexity and expertise required, uh, of the effort. And so my advice to folks is always uh, a couple of things. A, you know, pay a lot of attention to, you know, the way you formulate these problems. If the, uh, for example, if the challenge that you want to go after is, uh, you know, driving revenue with machine learning and AI, right? There's a bunch of ways you could look at that. You could use machine learning models to try to uh, predict, you know, demand or customers that are most likely to uh, like to uh, kind of attach to your offers. You could try to uh, predict churn uh and and stop customers from leaving you could try to reduce fraud um you could try to predict kind of the uh you know you could try to apply ml to pricing there's lots of different ways to to do it so uh, the first piece of advice is kind of think hard about you know the specific problem that you want to try to tackle uh and this is you know there's kind of si- both science and art to to doing this it, you know that uh, itself is uh, a big part of the challenge. Uh, and then the next you know, piece of advice, once you've identified that problem that you want to go after, start as simple as humanly possible uh, and then build up the complexity from there. Like it's real easy to kind of, Fall victim to shiny object syndrome, if you will, and try to you know use a deep neural net to solve everything, right? Because those are cool, right. or a gen- generative adversarial network, right? But right. Uh, a lot of these things, you know, if you think about the results you're trying to achieve, and the um, particularly if you when you're comparing it to what you're able to do today, um, the Simple models like, you know, linear regressions and uh, decision trees, you know, have the advantages of being relatively easy to understand, relatively easy to uh, to train from the perspective that they don't require a lot of data. You can do many of these things in Excel if you want Um, and they can get you a lot of the way there. So start there and see how far they get you. Uh, you'll learn a lot along the way and that'll better position you to do more complicated things when you need to.
0: Yeah. And are you finding, you know, where we are today? Um, are people still trying to build things from scratch or is there just such a wide range of, of kind of available tools or even data sets that, that people can uh, kind of get started with things that are available as, uh, you know, cloud services or, you know, readily available technology? There's no need to kind of start from scratch, especially if you're, like you said, you're starting smaller.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It you know, there's always a question of like, what does from scratch mean for a particular organization, right? You're no one's going to build a computer or write the OS, right? Right. There, right. There's, you're starting from somewhere. Uh, the question is, you know, how much are you? You know, where you're starting from, right? So the cloud vendors, uh, they have what I like to think of as uh, three tiered offerings. Generally, they've got. Uh, AI-enabled infrastructure. Typically, these are infrastructure as a service offerings that have some uh, GPU capability, for example, that makes them uh, good for training deep neural networks. Uh, at the tier above that, they've got you know data science as a service or machine learning as a service. These are offerings like SageMaker um, that are you know often there. The user interface is like a Jupyter notebook. This is a Kind of think of it as like a Python IDE for machine learning. Um, It's very popular. uh, But they take away from having to think at all about infrastructure. Uh, You're just typing your code into this box and hitting run, right? Uh, And at, at a level higher than that, there's kind of cognitive services or, you know, AI as a service. And these are things like, you know, object detection services and translation services, transcription services, Um, things like that. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, companies can kind of pick depending on their problem, which of these you want to start at. And again, the advice is, you know, start with the thing that, uh, you know, gets you close quickly. And, you know, for example, you could start with, if your problem is one of, um, you know, say you, you're moving goods around and you want to, you've got a conveyor belt and you want to be able to identify the things that are on your conveyor belt. Why not try one of the cognitive services and see if it can do it? Uh, there are things like, you know, Google's got auto ML uh, for vision that will allow you to use your own training data. Maybe it'll get you there. If it doesn't get you there, you could always take what you've learned and then go to the level deeper and train your own model or fine tune someone else's model. Uh, there's always a place to to start, I think, is the uh, kind of the bottom line here. And the trick is kind of finding, you know, what's the place to start to, that'll get you there the most quickly and then taking advantage of what's already there.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Just the idea of, you know, break down exactly what, what business problem you're trying to solve. You're not trying to solve them all. And and uh, no, I think that's really good advice in terms of, because that, that gives you the ability to probably... Get some sort of result fairly quickly. You can determine if it's if it's helpful. If it's something that you want to expand upon, you probably haven't spent a whole lot of money on it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great advice. Um, obviously, you can't predict uh, the entire year ahead, but but you know, you, usually you know, you've been around the industry for a while long enough. You have a sense of kind of where things are going. What are some of the you know top two or three? Um, you know, either technologies or trends that you're really looking forward to, uh, that you expect to happen or that you're, you know, excited about trying to cover and dig into and learn more about this year?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say there are three things. Um, uh, as I mentioned before, the evolution of platform technologies for AI, particularly within the enterprise and cloud is a big part of this, uh, is I think that we're in a really interesting time where, you um, Uh, enterprises are are very ripe for kind of taking advantage of that kind of technology because they're under so much pressure to get more models out and to do more with ML and AI. And so that's a space that I'm investing a lot of time in, uh, both from the podcast and from the the research and analysis side of things. Uh, I've also been um, really, really intrigued with deep reinforcement learning. Uh, Reinforcement learning is, you know, unlike... Um, kind of the usual thing you hear about in machine learning is uh, supervised learning. You've got uh, a bunch of data, training data, and you've got labels or answers, you know, that you're ultimately trying to predict. And you can predict a model that uh, basically learns how to make predictions based on the relationship between the training data and the answers that you've supplied. With reinforcement learning, the idea is more like when you see, you know, um, video games training an agent to kind of exist in some environment and learn about the environment and how to maximize its score. Uh, So video games are kind of the classic reinforcement learning problem, but uh, it's also been applied uh, uh, to robotics, um, autonomous vehicles. And uh, it's an area that I have been following pretty closely. And I, I think it's a really interesting one because this challenge of getting the label training data is a huge one. It's one that's, you know, it's very difficult to overestimate how much of a challenge this can be. And so uh, RL is very promising in its ability to allow us to train models based on simulation without having label training data. Uh, but as, you know, it, it's also immature. It's, you know, today the, the uh, getting it to work is hard, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the third thing that, uh, I think is really interesting is there's a ton of work happening on generative AI. And so, uh, this is, you know, if you've seen, uh, I, I saw a, a tweet that kind of lined this up, but, you know, over the past couple of years, if you, you may have seen kind of pictures of, hey, uh, this, hey, uh, you may have seen pictures of, hey, this, uh, picture, this human image of a human, a face, Uh, was generated by an AI. Well, if you line up uh, the different successive generations of that uh, technology, we're getting pretty good at doing this, right? The, The previous, you know, a couple of years ago, generative AI faces were just like, they were horrible. They were really crappy, distorted, looked like some kind of, you know, horror movie uh now you know there the resolution is getting much higher the images are getting much more realistic uh and we're able to do it quicker um and so we're all and we're also seeing kind of advances in generative ai and uh in natural language processing as well so the ability to uh generate you know, stories and text and things like that is getting better. And uh, that's a really interesting space because, you know, it starts to get at um, kind of this, I think this essence of artificial intelligence, like, or this essence of maybe this essence of existence, like creativity. And can we make a computer that uh, can be creative in some kind of way?
0: Right, right, yeah, no, I, I've seen some some very, very interesting uh, a- examples of, of some of that popping up here and there, and um, you know, people creating uh, it, like the the one example I hear all the time is people say at some point, uh, you know, we, we'll no longer have Tom Cruise movies with Tom Cruise in it, but he's somewhere, uh, you know, they're they're piecing together all these little bits and pieces of his of his other movies. They'll be able to take all that and regenerate it as as if he was you know twenty five year old Tom Cruise doing. Uh, Mission Impossible 12 or something like that. So, um, yeah. And, exactly. that's, and, that's, and that may not be, be a good example of it. But, uh, well, listen, Sam, um, every time we get a chance to talk to you, we learn a bunch. Um, we, we sort of realize how little we know about this space, which is why we talk to you. Um, folks, I cannot recommend enough um, not only to go check out a lot of the work that Sam's been doing, the ebooks and, and the series and stuff, but obviously become a subscriber to his show every week. Um, I always rem- remember it as Twimmel uh, this week in machine learning and AI. Um, it's always always in the, you know, iTunes top 20 or so. So it won't be hard for you to find. Sam, any last uh, words in terms of, you know, good ways for people to reach out to you or things maybe, uh, you know, places you might be that people could meet up and uh, pick your brain?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I try to be pretty easy to find. I'm at Sam Charrington on Twitter. uh, Also at uh, TwiMLAI. TwiMLAI.com is the website. Um, And I love hearing from folks that are working in this space or who listen to the show. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, again, Sam, thanks for being on. For, uh,
0: for Aaron and I, we always appreciate the chance to talk to you. Um, folks, as always, thank you for listening this week, and we will talk to you next week.
1: Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.